I bring you greetings from Trinity Bible Church in Phoenix. We love you all. We love what the Lord has been doing here uh, through John Filkey uh, for so many years and also through, of course, now Pastor John Diedrich. Pastor John's been a real encouragement to us at Trinity and me personally. And so we're just excited to hear the stories about how God is at work here amongst y'all and uh, really just excited to labor together. Uh, towards the same goal, which is a clear understanding of the biblical gospel. I hope you all know that we pray for you regularly as we gather together at Trinity Bible Church. We pray that you, like so many other faithful churches in the valley, would be uh, making the gospel visible. And in a way, that's the point of our text this morning. Uh, A few years back, my wife's grandparents gave us a gift basket for Christmas. It was a Harry and David gift basket, uh, a fancy box of nuts and fruit, and it came with some walnuts or something uh, and some pears. Now, I love me some fruit, but pears have never really been at the top of my list. I've never really been crazy about pears. More of a peach and watermelon kind of a guy. So we put these pears in the fridge and kind of forgot about them. Uh, But one day I was heading out of the house in the morning and I just wanted to grab something so I'd have something to eat that day. And I took one of those pears. And when I bit into this pear, I couldn't believe it. Uh, It was the most delicious thing I'd ever had before. So perfectly tender and smooth and just juicy and sweet and melted in my mouth like ambrosia. I had no idea what a pear was supposed to taste like until I had one of these $4 Harry and David fancy pears. And from time to time, I will eat a typical pear from the the grocery store, and I'll be like, eh, that's a good try, pear. I mean, I I know what you're going for. But now that I've had that fancy pear, that Harry and David pear, my tastes have changed. I'm kind of spoiled now. Uh, I have acquired a taste for pears, but I can't settle for anything but the finest of pears. My tastes have changed. And that's kind of what the Apostle Peter writes about in our sermon text here this morning in 1 Peter. Peter says that when you taste that the Lord is good, your desires change. The Christian life is a battle of desires. When we're born again, we are given new desires. God takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And with that heart comes new desires. It desires Christ. It desires his word. But we know that those old selfish desires are are still there. Those stony hearts sort of, they keep coming back in some ways, don't they? We've got to battle those old desires and try to cultivate the new desires that God has given to us. So the big idea of this, this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is that we should deny the desire to hurt others and cultivate the desire to drink in the gospel. The big idea We should deny the desire to hurt others and cultivate the desire to drink in the gospel. Here's what we need to know this morning. The word of God sustains and matures us as Christians. A desire for God's word is a part of the standard makeup of a Christian. Someone who is born again needs to cultivate and encourage this desire that has been given to him or her by God. We need to cultivate a desire for the pure spiritual milk of the word because without God's word, we'll become starved of the source of our spiritual lives and we'll never grow up into maturity. Well, before we dive in here this morning, let's just stop and pray one more time to ask the Holy Spirit to light up our hearts this morning as we look into his word. 
Oh, Father, we are dependent upon you this morning to help us to see your word for uh, really the sweet and good thing that it is. Father, we know that you are good. We have experienced this. We pray for those who are here this morning who have not experienced this, that they would this morning be able to look into your word and know by your spirit the, the goodness of Christ, how sweet the gospel truly is. Father, this morning we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us, illumine our hearts and our minds, help us focus, and help us to glean from your word what you would have us to learn this morning. We love you. I'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage that we're in this morning comes in the second chapter of the book of 1 Peter. So Peter wrote this letter to a group of Christians who apparently were being persecuted, uh, undergoing some sort of suffering on account of the fact that they were Christians. If you have your Bible open, and I hope that you do, you'll notice that he wants to encourage them as they're living as elect exiles. Chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter. That is to say that they are people who are living in an uncomfortable place that is not their home. They're exiles. He encourages them by reminding them of the riches that are theirs in Christ. He starts just by reminding them what God has done for them in Christ. And much of it has to do with this new birth. Christians have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's verse 3, chapter 1. They call God their father, and they have been adopted into his family. And these amazing privileges in Christ come with some serious duties. So he, Peter tells his audience, and us, by extension, to be holy, to have healthy fear of God, to love one another genuinely. Uh, and these things should be true of us because we have been born again to this new hope. So Peter's describing what follows this new birth for the Christian. So 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says this. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I want to really start in verse 3 here. And then I'm going to come back to 1 and 2. Because it seems that what Peter says in verses 1 and 2 are really predicated or based on what he says in verse 3. So first, he says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good in verse 3. So notice there what Peter says in verse 3. He says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good that he is kind, that he is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is delightful. Peter's connecting the new birth to a new appetite. So if you're a born-again Christian, you've gotten some taste of the gospel, and you've loved it. You've tasted that the Lord is good, that Christ is Lord. Assuming that you've tasted that the Lord is good then, Peter says, these two things ought to be true of you. So these will be the two points that we'll look at in, in, in our time together. First, assuming that you've tasted that the Lord is good, deny the desire to hurt others. Second, assuming that you've tasted that the Lord is good, cultivate the desire to become more like Jesus through drinking in the gospel. So let's look at 
First, what Peter tells us to turn away from. So if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, deny selfish desires to hurt others. Verse one, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So Peter gives us here a picture of competing desires. He's giving us a very clear contrast between the impure ways that we hurt others and the purity of the gospel. In order to desire God and his word, we need to be weaned off of what used to sustain us. So he lists off a few vices, some evil practices, if you will. And it's important to notice that each of these, each of these vices is tied to uh, an evil desire. There's an underlying evil desire to all of these, right? So malice, a desire to injure or harm someone else. And so you're mean or hostile towards them. Deceit, a desire to take advantage of people. So you use underhanded methods to manipulate people. Hypocrisy, a desire to keep your true self a secret. So you put on a mask that hides your true purposes or motivations from others. Envy, a desire to covet what others have or do or even who they are. So your heart turns against them and against God in jealousy. Slander is a desire for people to think more highly of you than they do of others. So you trash them so that you look better in comparison. All these evil practices that Peter lists off here are moved by self-love. Do you see that? This really is important. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander all of those desires are moved by loving yourself more than anything else, trying to benefit yourself at the expense of others. This comes naturally to us. I think we're all sort of focused on ourselves. Since the fall, we've all sort of lost our true sense of identity. We've all lost our right relationship with God, of course, our right relationship with others, but we've, we've even lost our right relationship with ourselves. We've lost our, our identity. We all have a desire to be truly known, to be loved. And without the security of rightly relating with our creator as his beloved children, we try to establish our identity by comparing ourselves and competing with others. Our sinful nature makes us curved in on ourselves. And so we desire to see ourselves as being better than others. You call it, you call it ego if you want to. No matter how much we might do or how much we might accomplish in life, we still feel like we need to prove that we're somebody. So we try to feed our ego. No matter what you feed your ego, his tummy is always grumbling. Sometimes we feed our egos by taking bites out of others, either by what we say or what we do or even what we think, but the ego is never quite satisfied. It's always there, always hungry. And you might not be convinced that you're naturally so self-focused. So the next time someone sends you a group photo and tags you on Facebook or sends you a message with a bunch of other people in it, and you're in the picture too, notice who you try to find in the picture first. It's going to be you. Because you're going to be like, how do I look? How do I come across? What are people thinking of me? 
You want to see how others are going to perceive you. Because let's be honest, when you know that other people think highly of you, it's pleasurable. You get a little kick of dopamine. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when we start to think that we need to tear other people down to get ahead of them, it's evil. And we need to stop. If we want to pull the wool over someone's eyes so that we can take advantage of them, it's evil. It's ungodly and it's evil. If we want to pretend that we believe something just so that others will think more highly of us, that think that we're cool, that they'll accept us, that's evil. If we covet what belongs to others, it's evil. When we talk poorly about others uh, just to make ourselves look better than them, it's evil. And we need to be clear that it's evil. Sin will never lose its allure unless we recognize it for its evilness. If you think of it as just like a bad habit, you can kind of deal with it. You can ignore it, perhaps. But that's not what we're called to. We need to put away all that garbage so that we can desire what we should really desire as people who have been born again by the word of God. When I drop off my daughter at the, the bus stop in the mornings, there's another dad who's there and he knows that I'm a pastor. And so he'll ask me questions from, from time to time. This last Friday, a couple days ago, he asked me if I've noticed that there seems to be like a high level of anxiety and tension across society. What do you guys think? <laughs> you know, to be a pastor to figure that out. I'm pretty sure we've all sensed this, particularly in the last year or so. And then just a few hours later uh, on Friday, we had a mobile notary come to our house to sign some paperwork at our house. And after he had been there for a few minutes, he spoke up. He said, man, you would not believe the conversation that I had at the last house I was just at. I sat down and the lady just started blurting out all of her negative opinions about everything that's wrong with everyone and everything in society right now. It got really tense. And the poor guy was just there to like witness her signing some paperwork. This is not what I'm here for, ma'am. That maliciousness is characteristic of our current cultural moment, but it is not characteristic of the new birth. We have to loosen the chains that enslave us to those selfish, disordered desires. And we do that by getting a taste of something that's better. We replace those old, sinful, fleshly desires with new, holy, spiritual desires. We need new affections. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit gives to us when we're born again. So we've seen that we need to deny selfish desires to hurt others. But now let's look at what we desire, what desire we need to replace those old desires with. So, assuming that you have tasted that the Lord is good, cultivate the desire to become more like Jesus through drinking in the gospel. Verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 2 there. So, as I mentioned, Peter has just told us in chapter 1 that God causes us to be born again to a new and living hope. And how does he do it? He tells us, through the imperishable seed, which is the word of God, which is the good news that was preached to us, the gospel. The gospel brings us to spiritual life. We see it in 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25, verses that are just before this, if you've got your Bible open there. God causes us to be born again through the gospel. And Peter says, not only does he, not only does he bring us to life through the gospel, but the gospel also sustains us and matures us. As a result of being born again spiritually, we long for what the Holy Spirit gives to us. 
which is in the inspired word of God. This makes so much sense because in a different letter, in 2 Peter, the same author writes that he, the, the Bible was written by humans as they were moved along by the Spirit of God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? 2 Peter. So the Holy Spirit authored Scripture, and God brings it, uh, brings us to life with Scripture, brings us to spiritual life with it. So once we're spiritually alive, we desire more of what it was that brought us to life. And Peter, I love it, Peter has a brilliant illustration of this whole chain of events. He compares spiritual birth to physical birth. He says, just like a mother brings life and sustains life through milk, the Spirit brings us to spiritual life and sustains us through pure spiritual milk. A mother carries and forms a little baby from conception, knitted together in her womb, right? And after that newborn infant is born, when it comes into the world, he or she relies on that same mother for food, for nourishment, for milk. So the same being that brought forth the life now sustains the life through nourishment. And as the infant drinks the milk, it grows and matures. Now let's think about what Peter is saying here spiritually then. He's saying that this new birth is kind of like that physical childbirth. Just as the mother brings forth life, God causes us to be born by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And after we're born again, we return to the being who brought us to life to be sustained through nourishment. And as we drink in that pure spiritual milk, we grow and we mature. So do you see the illustration that Peter is using here? The same gospel that brought you to life is the same gospel that sustains you as a Christian. We return to the word of God that the Holy Spirit inspired to give us life. So if you're thinking that the good news which brought you to life is actually old news, you need to read this again. It's the pure spiritual milk that grows you up into salvation. I like how one pastor puts it. He says, quote, the gospel is not just the diving board. It's the pool. It is the, the fullness of the Christian life. It's not just how you enter into it. It is the Christian life. This is not where we get started and then we store it away until we need to share the gospel with someone else evangelistically. No, the gospel is not just for evangelism. It's for your everyday Christian life. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death. We were condemned to die. And now through his resurrection, his ascension, we are restored to right relationship with him and will live forever with him. This is our deep and abiding living hope. We have an inheritance in heaven that is being kept by God and we are guarded by God through faith to arrive at that final destination. That's the sort of thing that we cannot forget and we have to constantly remember. Did you notice that the gospel doesn't just sustain us, but it grows us? It matures us? So we're supposed to grow up into our salvation. Well, what does that mean? The salvation Peter writes about here is a final salvation. When, when Christ returns or calls us home, when we are done with the troubles of this world, that day is coming, and as it comes, we are to grow upwards towards that day. Man, God forgive us, too many times we treat like the gospel like it's a, a walking escalator at the airport. Like we hop on and we just sort of look out the windows at the airplanes that are taking off, not really paying attention. We're going to get there eventually. 
man, if we really understand this, we should, we should be running through the terminal like we're late in Home Alone, jumping over baggage, trying to make it to the gate. If we really understand the inheritance that awaits us, we need to be pursuing that final destination now. Drink deeply of the gospel. Pray that the Holy Spirit would continually use it to grow you up. Think about what God's acceptance of you means for how you should treat other people when you're tempted to tear them down. Think about how God's word creates a community of love when you want to slander his church. Think about how God at the cross reconciled us to himself. And think about what that when, when you need to reconcile with one of your enemies. Husbands, meditate on how Christ sacrificially laid down his life for his bride. Wives, meditate on how the church engages with and submits to intelligently and respectfully her husband. Parents, think about how you've been adopted by an eternally gracious father. Show that same grace to your kids, even when it's difficult. When you engage in spiritual warfare, remember that the gospel is so glorious that even the angels desire to learn more about it. When you're tempted to misuse your body, remember that it's not even yours. Christ bought it with the price of his life. When you're tempted to, to think that you're out of hope, Remember that God has promised eternal life and he does not lie. We spend our lives thinking about how the gospel shapes us and forms us. This is the Christian life. It takes effort. And in order to put in that effort, we have to desire the word of God, that pure spiritual milk. So have you ever thought about how your desires should change as a result of being born again? The new birth brings new loves. You've been born to better things. And maybe you've thought about how when you become a Christian, your thoughts change, maybe even your actions change. But have you thought about how your desires should change? Come to him, not just with your mind, but with your whole heart. Ask him to make you passionate about the things that he's passionate about. At my, my home church, Trinity, just like here, we have a beautiful mix of uh, various kinds of Christians, newborn Christians, uh, older saints who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, longer than I've been alive, teachers who have dedicated their lives to learning more about God and His Word so that they can build up the church. What do all of us need, no matter how long we've been a Christian? Somebody whispered it. The gospel. The humility to drink deeply and to learn more of the gospel. No matter how long you've been a Christian, don't be ashamed if you need to hear the same basic info over and over again. In fact, I'm sure Steve would be glad to have you in that new members class again. Don't be ashamed to go over the same basic stuff. It's okay. We need it. That pure spiritual milk. It's our source of life. What do you find spiritually tasty? What stirs up or whets your appetite? And maybe you've taken some time away before from drinking soda before. Uh, like maybe for Lent, you stop, I'm going to stop drinking Coke for, for 40 days. And then when you have that first sip of Coke again, it's like, that's really kind of gross. How was I drinking that before? That's like pure syrup. It's too sweet. Well, the Coke didn't change, but your appetite changed, right? Coke's had their same, their same recipe for, for decades, right? But appetites can be trained. It's an important thing to know. 
So are you training your spiritual appetite? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted that Christ is the Lord? Not everyone who reads the Bible tastes the goodness of the Lord. But have you tasted it? So the question, the question really that I'm asking is, have you been born again? It's not enough to look up Yelp reviews about how, what, what other people think about how the Lord tastes. You follow me? You've got to say, you, gotta, you have to taste it for yourself. Hearing testimonies of others is so important. But even more important than that is what is your testimony? You personally, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? We need to cultivate a desire for pure spiritual milk. So how do we do that? Well, I have a few ideas. This is not a comprehensive list, of course. Here's six ways to cultivate a desire to drink in the gospel. First, stop drinking garbage. What's the garbage that you drink that, that dulls your appetite for the word of God? This might include turning off cable news or talk radio from time to time. There's a lot of slander and malice on there. I don't know if you've noticed. That's just one example, though. Think for yourself, what might it be that it's spiritually unhealthy that you're drinking in? Second, read the Bible regularly. Just as with food, you, you can change what you find tasty. If you read the Bible often, even when it's not delicious to you, you might be surprised that over time you acquire a taste for it. And when you find that it's useful in life and that it's beautiful, you'll want to come back for a refill. Third, read the Bible carefully. Time and time again, some of the most insightful and applicable things that come to mind from Scripture uh, come to me really only after I've stared at it and really spent time working in it. Read and reread, meditate on it, pray, ask for God's help. Sometimes, really, to get the tastiest morsels from the Word, it takes work. Don't be afraid of working to appreciate the Bible more. Four, fasting. You know, we don't, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth, the Bible. Job said that he treasured the words of God's mouth more than his portion of food. Fasting is meant to be a way to call attention to your spiritual taste buds. So when your stomach growls, think about how much you need to drink in the gospel. Five, listen to biblical music. So if, if the word of God is what spiritually sustains us and brings us to life, the more biblical the songs, the more nourishment you'll be able to get from them. So if you're looking for some good Christian music, you can ask Pastor Steve, Pastor John. I'd be glad to give you some suggestions afterwards if you would like to talk about it. Augustine said that when he heard great hymns, truth was distilled into his heart. And it doesn't just have to be worship music. I would gladly recommend some rap like Beautiful Eulogy or Shailin. The music is filled with biblical imagery, biblical language that glorifies God. Six, read Christian poetry. Read guys like John Donne or George Herbert. Read the Isaac's, Isaac Watt hymns. In fact, write this down. You can Google this later. Look up Watts Hymn 143. Watts Hymn 143. And then just read that later this afternoon, after you've had your lunch, before you lay down for your nap. See if it helps you to understand this passage in a fresh way. 
good poetry has a way of seeing truth and communicating it beautifully so that it hits home to our hearts in a powerful way. It can stir up our affections. The Word of God sustains us and matures us. Uh, a desire for God's Word is a part of the natural makeup of someone who's born again, but it has to be cultivated, it has to be encouraged, it has to grow. We need to cultivate a desire for the pure spiritual milk of the gospel because without God's Word, we're going to be starved of the source of our spiritual life. We'll never grow up. So let me tell you about a friend that I've had uh, for about 15 years. He grew up visiting church from a, from a young age, but was never really engaged. Like he was there, but he wasn't really tuned into anything. He always wanted to leave the small town that he grew up in. He wanted to have that big, successful life, and he did. He grew up, and he was a successful businessman. He had a lot of uh, everything he sort of desired. He had money. He had lots of friends. But when he, did, he arrived there, he found it wanting. Uh, it did not deliver what he was expecting. He had what he thought he desired, but he found himself still longing for more. Well, a few years ago, he suffered an incredible tragedy and loss in his personal life, and he couldn't deal with it. It was, it was wrecking him. And one day, he was going through a box of his old grandma's uh, old things, just sort of cleaning out her, her attic, and he ran across a Bible that belonged to her. It was this big, ornate Bible with handwritten notes on it. And for the first time, he stopped to, to really pay attention to the Bible. He had become interested in it, and so he started reading it for himself. He knew that I was a Christian, and so he knew that I would be excited, and so he shared this information with me, and I was excited. I just suggested that he start reading through the Gospel of Mark, uh, and I shipped him a little red book that you guys probably have in the bookstall here, Who is Jesus? by Greg Gilbert. And a few weeks later, he called me just to thank me for sending the book, to tell me that he had read it. And we talked again just about how Jesus took on the wrath that he deserved. And the justice that he was looking for could only be delivered by Christ. And since that time, he's changed. Uh, his business practices, his addictive behaviors, his angry temperament. And no one is more surprised about that than he is. At the end of the call, he asked me, he said, have you seen this process in other people? I said, yeah, that's what it looks like to be born again. To a new and living hope from above. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. But even more, we're grateful for the fact that it points us to Christ, who is our, our living hope. Father, thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Help us to cultivate a desire for your word that we might grow in maturity, that we might love you in the way that you ought to be loved, that we would hate sin, that we would see it for the dirty thing that it is. Father, I pray for the, the, the future of this church. Father, we're grateful for the way that you have worked through here, excited about what you're doing in the future. And we pray that she would remain faithful to your biblical gospel. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.